Oh, look at that. Thank you. Good morning. Man, I sure hope you're doing well. Uh, just kind of wanted a couple family items. Uh, one is uh, next Sunday night uh, here at Central Campus, uh, we're doing the A-Team Appreciation. And what that is, it's kind of new terminology, but if you volunteer here, you should come to that event. Uh, it's, it's a way for us to all get on the same page. We're all trying to make a difference, and Alive has grown, and we have all these different places people serve, and, and we just want to put everybody in the same room, love on them at the same time, and say, okay, here's why we're doing what we're doing, whether we're serving in the, on the grounds team or the servant exchange whatever. Next Sunday night, food's provided. We just need you to, to reserve a place or whatever or let us know you're coming so we can cook enough food. So go on the website, let us know you and your family are coming, and we'd love to have you next Sunday night. Um, second thing I want to mention is this. It's kind of kind of things that, oh, uh, so Pleasant View is doing it November the 20th, as it says right here, Pelzer's on December the 4th. So excited for that to happen for you guys as well. So uh, this is the International Day of Prayer uh, for the Persecuted Church. Um, it's, it's something, you know, you don't hear a lot about, I guess, but um, this morning, Lisa and I were having our time with Jesus, and um, she looked up from her books, and she said, hey, Tom, today's this day, and then she said, I realize that the majority of the missionary partners that Alive has are actually serving in persecuted contexts. And, um, and it kind of rattled us both. We're thinking, wow, um, you know, you guys, you guys don't even know about it that much because, you know, we have to be very cautious about how all that is, sh- is shared. But the majority of our partners that we serve, just through our ties and offerings, um, are in persecuted settings. In fact, next Sunday, uh, Rupak Shankar will be visiting Alive, and um, he is serving uh, currently in a persecuted, and he, he leads uh, several churches uh, that are serving, all of them in, in the martyred Christian uh, circles. And so... Um, you'll hear some from him uh, via video so all of our campuses can enjoy him. And then he'll be here at Central Campus in the lobby uh, next Sunday. We actually have one of our friends who uh, we've sent two teams to his mission field in, in, in a persecuted church. And we just found out this week he's actually traveled. Get this. He functions in a persecuted context. And then he's traveled to another persecuted country to do ministry there. And then went back to his persecuted place. The loss wasn't that big a deal last night, people. I'm just telling you, there's a lot bigger fish to fry out there, and uh, we need to be aware of that. So um, anyway, that's, that's next Sunday. So I thought it'd be kind of cool if we started with a word of prayer, uh, reminding ourselves the world is a whole lot bigger and Christendom's a whole lot bigger than these four walls. So Lord, thank you so much for who you are and the power this morning as we come to you in prayer. Uh, the image is you reigning on a throne. Um, man, Isaiah said, Lord, just the hem of your garment filled the temple. Just the hem. So how massive you are, how mighty and powerful. And so, Lord, we come to that mighty God in this moment. We ask, Father, that you would hear our prayers as we lift up brothers and sisters, men and women and children, families just like ours, who are in a completely different place today. And, Father, they're not thinking about where they're going to go for lunch or what's at home for dinner. They're thinking about being persecuted for what they believe And Lord, we want to stand in the gap with them today. We have so much to learn from them. We want to support them and love them and advance your cause in these courageous men and women's lives where they're serving. So alive, together we pray right now, make the way clear, and we will continue to respond in obedience and what we can do to help. And we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray that you would protect, that you would uh, anoint their ministries so that the, the harvest could only be explained through you. Lord, it has never, nothing, no one, nowhere has ever been able to hem this thing in. And the more pressure the church feels, the more it grows. And so we ask that you would be with our missionary families today, and they would sense that anointing um, and this love and support of this church and uh, 
All God's people said, amen, yeah. Yeah, so hey, I was thinking about uh, kind of where we are in this uh, series, and um, I was thinking about uh, there are these seasons, you know, that we, we end a season, and so that's over, but, and we know we're going to a new season, but we really have no idea what it looks like, and so we're kind of in this gray zone, this, this area of, of what we're calling a static season, and I, I, to kind of illustrate, because I know people come in and out, but perhaps one of the greatest areas to show this to you is in the area of, 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 of your home, and uh, particularly if, if, if you've been charged with the responsibility of raising children, because raising children is one static season after another. And so it's like basically you're always moving and you're moving from, oh, we finally got this figured out and then everything has now changed. And you're like, oh my goodness, what just happened? We have no idea what's coming. We have no idea what that is. And so like you get a brand new kid, you take it home from the hospital. Once you figure out how to strap it into that contraption and you get the thing home from the hospital and then you think, man, wait, we got to keep this thing alive. You know, otherwise they, they do mean stuff to you if you don't keep it alive. And this isn't like raising chickens. You just throw chips on the ground and they go, eat it. children, it works for a while. I've tried it, but you just throw some chips and the kids will. But anyway, that's generally not a good way to raise children. And I'll never forget when Rachel was born, our first child, and Lisa's mom and dad came to visit with us for like two weeks. And, and I remember Lisa and I were standing in the door holding our new baby as they drove away. And I turned to Lisa. I said, Lisa, you know you're the smarter one between the two of us. Do you know how to keep this alive? Do you know what we're doing? And she was, I got, this was before internet and Google and all those helpful mom bloggies, but they, you know, that, 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 that was before that. So it was a stress. So then the, we had the two girls and then our son Thomas came and the baby stage was something we quickly got used to. We're like, okay, you just got to keep it clean and keep it fed and that's about it and, and everything's fine. And, and then the girls started to be able to talk. And I hope that's all parents laughing because you know, right? You guys know. And then like what they learned to like tell us things back. They talked back and they pulled us into this entirely new season of static. So I knew the baby stage, you know, you're cute, everything. And like you stay where you're put and then you can talk and walk and like you got to tie you to a cinder block to make sure you don't go running off somewhere and all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember the first time one of my children told on me to Lisa. I had corrected the child, and I'm, I'm sure it was rather harshly, and she turned and ran right to her mom and said, Mom, Dad, hurt my feelings. I don't even know what a feeling is. What do you mean I hurt your feelings? What is that? Here I am, a grown man. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. And yet I feel like I got sent to the principal's office by my two-year-old. And so I didn't know what to do. But luckily, Lisa did. She just put me in time out. And once I learned my lesson, I was allowed to come back out. Now, puberty is another season of static. Nervous laughter. <laughs> yes, puberty is another season of static. You know things are no longer going to be the same but you have no idea if they're going to turn out or if they're going to survive. You have no idea. And I'm sorry to our, all of our beautiful teenagers in the room, but puberty for parents is like Halloween year-round. You never know who's going to show up at the door. Now listen, teens, listen to me. I don't want you to be mad at me right now, but teens, if you're mad at your parents right now, you have a right to be. Because we have no idea what we are doing. We have no idea. We're just doing our best. So it's like, here's where we know. Now it's a gray zone. We don't know where it's going. So all that to say, static seasons are that time between what we know and what we don't know. And this area, we're just trying to figure it out. You know, you move from, it's part of life. We move from single to being married. 
We move from uh, unconvinced to convinced in matters of faith. We move from financial stress to financial peace. We move from unhealthy to healthy. And then sometimes there are difficult transitions that go the other way. You know, we move from perfectly healthy to a troubling diagnosis that's rattled us. We move from being married to being divorced. We move from being employed to unemployed. We move from a house full of kids to an empty nest. We move from working to being retired. We move from being young and youthful to aging. And we move from life together to grief. See, life is filled with these seasons of static that we all know and what we just come out of, but we really have no idea of what we're headed into, and it's deeply unsettling. Even as a society, we've been experiencing this, and the result of static seasons is anger, fear, and anxiety, and these things are on the rise. So we've been studying for this whole thing, this little book of 1 Thessalonians, and Paul wrote it to this brand new group of believers, and he planted this church, and then three weeks later is run out of town by an angry mob. But despite that hasty exit, this little group of believers not only survived, they were thriving there. They had given just enough. Paul, they had learned just enough. They were in this incredible season, but they were also in a static season because before Paul, they were pagans and all the lifestyle that was involved with pagans in Greek culture. Not only that, they had the Roman oppression, had the Jewish oppression and Greek culture, and they're following the way. So this whole season was static, static to them. They had no idea what they should do and what was coming. So Paul sends Timothy to find out how this young church is doing. And, and Timothy's, after hearing Timothy's report, Paul writes this letter to encourage them. And we have that letter in our scripture. And so you can go back, watch any of these videos if you want to. But here's what we've learned in the series to date. Uh, the gospel has power. The gospel is actually fueled by love. The gospel redeems suffering. And the gospel makes us like Jesus. Now, I have a confession. I've kept something from you throughout this entire series. I've hidden it. I didn't intentionally hide it. I mentioned it a few times, but I breezed over it. Some say what I breezed over is mentioned one out of every four verses in First and Second Thessalonians. What I'm speaking of has been part of every chapter we have studied so far in this series. Today, I want to sort of come clean about what I have been breezing over, and I want to complete our list because here's the final one. The gospel actually brings us hope. Throughout this series, many have reached out or stopped by the prayer rooms or talked to someone on our staff or in the lobby, and they'll proceed to describe the challenging situation they find themselves, significant seasons of static they're in right now. And once that situation is described and there's some empathy words back and forth, there will be some expression, great or small, of hopelessness. It's, we don't mean to. It's just like, man, Tom, it's hard to see past my moment. It's hard to see past what I'm going through. A philosopher, Bertrand Russell, who described himself as an agnostic sometimes and sometimes as an atheist, he wrote these words, the life of man is a long march through the night surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none may tarry long. He was going to write greeting cards, but he realized he was terrible at it. And so... He <laughs> This is from the essay William Styron. He writes, it is hopelessness even more than pain that crushes the soul. And I guess I find that to be true in my life. 
Here's where I'm at. I'm allergic to pain. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm allergic to it, but I can fight pain. I can persevere through pain. I can even overcome pain. It's happened before. But hopelessness? Hopelessness overcomes me. Hopelessness requires something outside of me. I can't defeat hopelessness with Tom, pull your boots on and walk tall. It requires something outside of me to pull me out of its grip. Hopelessness. Have you ever been hopeless? Do you remember the definition of the gospel that we've been using in this series? It's the gospel's the good news of what God has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Friends, that's more than a definition. You see, the gospel that we've been speaking about is something outside of me. It is something, someone I can invite into my life, into my belief system, into my behaviors, into my experience, even into my heart. And the gospel speaks to hopelessness in me through the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that thing outside of you that you need, that I need to defeat hopelessness in your life, in my life. Our friends at Thessalonica were experiencing hopelessness of the deepest kind. They were contemplating death, their own death and death of people that they loved that had already died. And they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, but they still had these questions. And all these questions were producing a hopelessness. The context was this. They believed Jesus was going to come in their lifetime. And they were all excited about that. They were ready for Jesus to come. But then they got to wondering, what about mom? She passed a while ago. Is she going to be resurrected? And they had all these questions. And so Paul seeks to begin to address that concern. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Whatever this gospel is that you and I have been gnawing around, apparently it creates a hope only for those who believe. Let's say that another way. If you don't believe, you don't have this same hope. A hope that sets the gospel believers apart from everybody else. Paul's communicated a rather dramatic truth, Christian people. If you believe in the gospel, you still grieve, but you grieve with hope. Look what Paul just, two terms, Paul just married. It wasn't grief and pain. That would make sense. <laughs> grief and loss, that makes sense. It wasn't, you know, grief and total disorientation, that makes sense. Paul put grief with hope. Who does that? Who does that? How do you put grief with hope? Let, let me be clear. The young believers are happy or questioning what happens at the end. What happens to the loved ones who have died? You talk about a static season. I get this life, Tom, but what's going on next life? And that's a great question. If this life is all there is, as some people believe, if this is all there is, then death produces considerable grief for me and hopelessness is considerable for me if all it is is however long I get to breathe here and I raise kids and die. If that's all it is, that's hopelessness. 
If this is it, the meaning of our existence centers on what we do with our very temporal and fragile lives. That's hopeless. That's incredibly hopeless. And Paul writes, because of the gospel, there is a reason to have hope even in death. In fact, the reasons Paul's getting ready to reveal are so significant, so powerful, so transformative that Paul writes in verse 18, after he lists the reasons, the desired effect. He said, y'all should encourage one another with these words. Don't miss the topic. We're talking about grief and hope. And then he's going to give us reasons why he says that. But he says at the end of it, y'all need to encourage each other with these words all the time. Whenever you all hang out and see each other and do small groups and come to the A-team appreciation night, whenever that happens, you should encourage each other with these words. That word encourage is sometimes translated comfort in Scripture. In your season of static, when hopelessness is settled in all around you, be encouraged. Be comforted by what you're getting ready to hear. No, this most likely will not change your circumstances. Don't buy that. Don't, don't drink that Kool-Aid. But it will change your perspective. And it will provide hope. What are the words, Tom? What are the words? Well, Paul says first, our Lord will return. Did y'all know? Apparently, Jesus comes back. And look, look, look how it comes. Look here. For the Lord himself... Look here. Is that a sentence? I don't even know if that is, but I felt like everybody went with me. Did you go with me? Okay, look here. The Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's an amazing verse. It is packed with so much I have no understanding of at all, but I'm really excited about the concepts. Jesus himself will return in power. He's not sending an angel Think about all the times he sent the angel. Mary, you're going to have a kid. There's an angel. You know, Jacob, I want you to, there's an angel. You know, Paul on the road to Damascus, there's an angel. This time, he's not sending an angel. He's not sending a heavenly messenger, but for the first time, he's coming. The resurrected and victorious God will return. And when he returns, it will not be with a request or a suggestion, but the scripture is clear. He's coming with a command. That same word is a military term used throughout the Greek scriptures and other contexts. It's, it's referencing the person in charge commanding troops. So whatever Jesus is going to come back, he's large and in charge. Let there be no doubt. He's going to be issuing a command. I'll come back to it. There's not going to be any missing this. And then the archangel's going to call. And, and a sound of ears have never heard before. For the, we're going to hear God's trumpet. What kind of trumpet player do you think God is? I mean, doesn't that kind of trip your trigger a little bit? Like, whoa, God's going to blow a trumpet? You know, what, what is he going to play? You know, is it Willie Nelson? I don't know. What, what are you going to play? You know, what is it that you're going to play? I just think that's, that's kind of exciting. A trumpet. So we have a command from Jesus himself. So what that means is for many of us, the first time we will audibly hear the voice of Jesus will be this command. Think about that day. Because, friends, according to Scripture, that is gone. That day, that day is in your future. There will be a day. We could be here. We could be in the lobby. We could be at our workplace. We could be sitting around the dining table, and we're going to hear our Heavenly Father's voice for the first time with a command. 
Then there's going to be a call from archangel. Think of archangel. We don't use that like chief angel or head angel or angel in charge. And then we have the sound of God's trumpet. Now, I understand that raises a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions too. But here's the bottom line Paul's communicating. Christ's return for those who believe will be announced from heaven forcefully and dramatically, and there'll be no question as to what's happening. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to miss it. Don't worry about, well, if I take a nap, am I still going to be okay? You're going to be fine. You're going to wake up in the floor, but you're going to be fine. (laughs) One of the questions these new believers had, what about those who believe but die before Jesus returns? That's a question I think I have. All of us have. We've all experienced the loss of loved ones. When asked about our loved ones, our friends and family who've already passed, what is their hope? Is grief hopeless for them? And Paul assures them. He answers the question. Those who believe but have passed will return with Christ. Here's the second word of encouragement. He says that the, the resurrection is real. That's what he says. The resurrection is real, and this is how he said it. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. And then this is in verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. What Paul is speaking about is no small matter. And if you're on the edge just investigating faith, I'm so glad you're here. Because this requires faith. Christians do believe that Jesus died and rose again. You say, Tom, that makes no sense. You're absolutely right. It does not make sense. However, by faith and by belief in the historic events of the day, we believe Christ did rise from the dead. And because of that, we can be confident in any other promise God makes, even if it violates natural science and human logic. That's a mouthful. I get it. What I'm trying to tell you is our faith allows for miracles. Our faith allows for the miraculous, for the natural order of things to be disrupted. All through scripture, this happens and people are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're right. Because it allows, you remember Lazarus? Wasn't feeling good one day, ends up he dies. Jesus shows up a couple of days later. Do you remember this? And he was going to talk to go into the tombs and move the, move the rock away thing. And Mary says, do you know what Mary says? Or one of the sisters says, hey, listen, don't go in there. Why? Can you, know, you remember that? It's in the Bible. This is the natural order of things, Jesus. This, you don't, don't go in there. No, no, this is before Febreze. <laughs> you, know, they, you don't want to go in there. And then Jesus, do you remember what he did? He cried out, Lazarus, Come forth. And up from the grave, he arose, and he came walking out. You say, Tom, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. But my faith allows for the miraculous. In another letter to another church, Paul says, and if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sin. Let me tell you what that means. If you read in the papers tomorrow, or papers, (laughs) if you read on your news feed tomorrow, that they have found the body of Christ and they have uncovered a conspiracy dating back thousands and thousands of years and all of this thing was this huge prank. We all got punked. If you read that tomorrow and they discovered the 500 witnesses were all lying, the Roman soldiers were in on it, the Jewish leaders, they were also in on it and all the disciples died for their faith and it's a big joke. If you find that out tomorrow, Paul says, Walk away from the faith. It's not real. That's how confident he is in this gospel. 
If Jesus did not raise from the dead, that's a game changer for people who believe the gospel. It's all built on that. We're putting all of our eggs in this basket because we believe by fact and faith, this is true. That's why Paul said a little later in 1 Corinthians, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And this is our third word of encouragement. Apparently, a reunion is coming. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, so we will be with the Lord forever. Caught up. Just to let you know, that word is like snatched or seized. It's like, no, it's not like, you know, it's like, you know, more like that kind of idea. It's not, that's what it is. I'm just telling you, that's what it is. This is uh, the doctrine of the rapture. Latin is docturo. It means caught up. It's also described in 1 Corinthians 15. So we have the saints who have passed, who will be resurrected, and now we have the saints who are living, who will be caught up in the clouds. And all the followers of the way will be united with Christ and with each other at the rapture. And from that time forward, we will be with the Lord. You say, Tom, it's a stretch for me. I agree. I agree 100% it's a stretch for you. How in the world can you possibly believe that? I, because Paul wrote it, to be honest, I don't believe it because Paul wrote it. I know that's bad. I should, but that's not the main reason I believe. The reason I believe in the rapture and that will actually, it will take place is because Jesus believed it. Jesus actually said it. If you look this up in your scripture, Matthew 24, these letters are written in red and you're familiar. Those are always the words of Jesus. Jesus is teaching one day in Matthew 24. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Jesus believed that. So I'm not going to sit here and believe whoever believes in me will have life. I'm not going to believe that, but not believe this. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm either going to believe all of Jesus or none of it. He can't be telling me the truth sometimes and like making things up the next time. He can't do that. You know, you can't listen to the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of the righteous and all these things be added unto you and then not believe this. It's an all or nothing, baby. And so for me, Jesus believes this, so I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna believe it too. And I think that's a powerful idea. And what it means is we are not immune from suffering and sorrow in this life. We are not. I'm not trying to sell you that. But a massively important takeaway for you to apply to your lives based on rapture doctrine is this. Every static season we find ourselves in today ends. Y'all didn't give me enough happy. Every static season that's producing hopelessness in your life right now ends. It stops. So what that means is your time of trial ends. Your time of loneliness ends. Your time of confusion ends. Your time of grief ends. Your time of pain ends. Your time of addiction ends. Your time of betrayal ends. Your time of guilt and shame ends. Your time of temptation ends. Your time of hopelessness ends. That's what Paul is saying. 
This is just a temporary thing, baby. The eternal's on its way, and when it comes, it all ends. The static season is done. Turn to your neighbor, say it all ends. Go ahead, tell him, say it all ends. If you really know him well, tell him it ends, baby. Go ahead, give him that one, give him that one. So of course Paul says this, encourage one another. Of course he says it. Encourage one another with these words. Do you understand what that means? When I'm in my season of hopelessness, when I feel lost, betrayed, hurting, Tom, it's going to end. It's going to end. There's going to be a command from heaven. There's going to be the archangel's going to cry out, and then God's going to play his trumpet. It all ends. You see, we are often in need of encouragement to the face of hopelessness. And so I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about what I do in my daily routine to encourage myself. If there is comfort and strength in talking to Jesus in prayer, how much more when you see him face to face? Come on. Think about it, eyeball to eyeball. Wonder if we talk so close you can actually feel his breath on your face. You think about praying now and you get encouragement then? You think about being. <laughs> How about this? If we get any encouragement from singing hymns, the great hymns of the church and the new wine of expressions of praise and worship, how much more when we sing in God's presence with everybody, every tribe and tongue and nation? And you know, in heaven, I think everybody can sing, even me. And y'all aren't going to be able to stand me because I'm going to sing all the time. <laughs> Do you hear my voice? Let me, let me let you hear it. <laughs> you know, that'd be, that's going to be me in heaven. How much more when we're actually standing in the object of our affection in his presence and he's sitting on the great throne and we're in the great throne room, all of us together, and we sing. Let's just say, praise God from home. Can you imagine? Are you with me? How many of y'all know that doxology? Praise God from whom all. Come on. Like we're in the throne room. Praise here below. Praise him above ye heaven. Come on. Praise and holy do it. Amen. Oh, you guys are so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Aren't you glad you're in church today? Here's one. If there's any encouragement in reading and recalling his promises in Scripture, how much more when your hope and faith is fully realized? I believe by faith, but today I see. Man, I think I'm going to explode into rainbows or something. I mean, that's going to be... It's gonna, <laughs> wow. That will happen when he comes and we are gathered to him. So, good friends, let's encourage each other in our community with these words. Come on. Let's stop beating each other up and let's start building each other up. Life's hard enough. 
Let's encourage one another. Friends, live encouraged lives. This is your now, but it is not your next. This is your now, but it is not your next. Turn to your neighbor, give it to him. This is your now, but it is not your next, baby. That's right, this is your now, but it's not your next. There's a season of static in the now. I get it. I do. I get it. I'm in those two. Oh, but dear friends, clarity's in your next. You want to go on a little trip in Tom's mind? Say no. You should be very afraid. As I've been thinking of this passage, it keeps bothering me. What's the command? Who are you commanding? I mean, when you come back, what what are you going to command? And I thought, he's not going to have to command me. I'm already in line. I'm with you, God. Wherever you want to go, just tell me. I'm just focusing on jumping straight. You know, I don't want to go to the left or to the right. I just want to make sure I keep straight, whatever that is. Who are you commanding? I don't think he's going to command the bride of Christ. He loves the bride. He's on his way back for the bride. They're his bride. The scriptures say he's gathering the bride, right? Who's he commanding? This is Tom's mind. I'm not saying this is in the Bible at all, okay? And this is medicated, so you be careful what you believe right now. So I was thinking about this, and I don't know. I don't know. We never hear the command, so I made up my own. (laughs) I like to picture my Lord and King breaking through the clouds in triumph and victory, and I hope it's a big white horse. And it's an image of might and power. And Jesus looks at all the tricks and all the destruction and all the violence and all the disease and fallenness of this world, constantly pulling and pressing on his children and discouraging them in their static seasons and giving hopelessness like a cancer. And God finally commands, get your hands off my boy. Get your hands off my girl. I, I don't know if it's real. All I'm saying is the one that's going to command is the evil one himself, and he will banish him to hell on that day. I know that is true. So why wouldn't he say, get your hands off my children? You can't have them anymore. Come on. Won't that be a day? You know, we talk about what it's like if it weren't to feel God's presence. And imagine that we didn't have God's presence in the world. Let me tell you what your future is. You don't have the evil presence in the world. That's your future. Gnaw on that bone for a while. Lord, you're good to us. <laughs> These people are so good. I love them, Lord. They're just fantastic. They pump me up. They excite me. They get me excited about following you. I want to be an encouragement to them. And I sure do need their encouragement. Oh, God, what a day it'll be. What a day it'll be. Say amen. What a day it'll be when we see you face to face. Lord, I want to be a child who lives with that hope. Forgive us for not talking about it enough. I want to raise my children who live with that kind of hope. Yeah, this is your now, but it's not your next, children. One day God shows up. Get your hand off my boy. Get your hand off my girl. You can't have them anymore. Lord, we are yours, and we long for that day. Hey, listen, those listening to the sound of my voice in the auditorium, online, or worshiping, or one of our campuses, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day, man. Today's your day. You don't have to live with hopelessness. You can live with hope. 
Yeah. What does it look like? There's no recipe, man. This is a relationship. This is the gospel. No one's got a corner on it all. We're all following faithfully. So you give your heart to Jesus with your own words. Follow him. Chase him. Let him love you and restore you. Tell him you're sorry for the wrongs, but begin that relationship. Maybe your next step would be to hit one of the prayer rooms on the way out of worship today. And I just need someone to pray with me. Let them lovingly guide you because you don't want to live without hope. Join the fellowship of the hopeful. For my friends who are grinding through a season of discouragement right now and hopelessness, be encouraged. The king returns, resurrection happens, and a reunion is in your future. In your name we pray, amen.